0: Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for the day that we come and recognize and celebrate and honor our moms. We thank you also that you are the perfect parent. And Father, we ask that you heal hearts who um, some days, sometimes for many people, Mother's Day is, is a difficult day and not a day of celebration. It's a difficult day because uh, many of us have lost mothers or have poor relationships with our moms or never had one or want to be a mom and is unable to be. And so, Father, all these broken hearts, we come and give them to you. And some moms have had their children even taken away and had to give them back to you. And that's a pain that I can't even imagine. And a trauma that I can't imagine getting over. But Father, we are trusting you. And we are grateful for our own mothers who tried to balance siblings and work sometimes in and life. And, and when to let go and when to, when to be protective. And the struggles that, that come with that, that um, sometimes seem to be daily. But we also thankful for the joys. And that they gave up big chunks of their life to raise us. So, Father, we are grateful for that. And again, we are grateful that you are the perfect parent, the one who is present and loving, but not controlling, one who is gracious and giving, but not indulgent, that we can be secure in your hands and be safe and know that is the safest place to be. Father, we ask that we, take as we tackle this theme these next few weeks that you give us wisdom and how that relates to us in our families, in our relationships, and in our, in our work environments and home environments. And uh, Father, we trust you in spite of circumstances, in spite of the things that happen, we continue to live with you and trust you, and we invite you. Again, to be here this morning, in the name of Jesus, amen. Hope is a prominent theme in the Scripture, and we find hope in really some of the most unlikely places. We are continuing our, our theme we started last week on hope, and you can find hope in really some unusual places that you don't expect to, in just the nooks and crannies of our own depression, maybe. Uh, you find it maybe in in uh, places of... of uh, Natural disasters. Uh, you find it in all kinds of places you wouldn't maybe would normally think it. Think you would find it. Uh, you also find it in our in our uh, Christian scriptures, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Is just the per, hope just permeates through the through the entire scriptures, and uh, you can find it there. But you can also find it in our um, secular scriptures as well. Uh, you find it in uh, our music. In uh, books and movies, you can find it in Finding Nemo. Uh, you can find it in, uh, Sue and I just finished a book together recently called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Very uh, quirky book, but very entertaining and full of hope. Uh, so we find it those places too. And I think if there's one place in our quote unquote secular scripture, we find it to me the movie Shawshank Redemption. Is uh, the movie about hope? From hope, from start to begin, start to end, it is a movie about hope. And so I'm gonna we're gonna show a clip here in a minute, just at the end of the movie. And if you never never saw it, it's I think it came out in the early 90s. Um, it's it's basically about two convicts who are in prison. One is falsely accused and falsely convicted of of murder, of killing his wife and her lover. And another guy is there by. But somebody, they're there. I can't remember what it was embezzlement or something like that. And uh, Tim Robbins plays Andy, and uh, Morgan Freeman plays a guy named Red. And they're at each other, they, they become good friends, but they have conflict about what hope is all about. And Andy keeps telling them that hope is what keeps them keeps going, it's the thing that they can't take away from you in the penitentiary. And uh, Red tells them, and says, No, hope is dangerous. You keep hope in here, it will drive you mad. And they do this the whole time, and, and Andy's got this dream, this hope of dream of going to Ciudad Mexico, and starting a new enterprise, and he finally talks, Red says, if you get out, you come join me. Well, Andy does get out, I won't tell you how, you all ruin the movie, uh, but he does, and Red gets out on, on parole, and Andy leaves some instructions of where he's going to find some, some, uh, something that he's left for Red, and so that's just kind of the scene we're going to see right now. Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Say what to nail. I could use a good man to help me get my project on wheels. I'll keep an eye out for you and the chessboard ready. Remember, Red, hope is a good thing maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you, and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. Go watch the movie if you haven't seen it. I think Andy's been reading Romans. Hope never dies. Hope never disappoints us, according to Paul. Uh, it is a good thing. It is that important. It can literally change the destiny of somebody's life. Like these two guys are the example. In the, um, in the world of philosophy, red actually is in line with most of, ph- most of the philosophers that hope is a dangerous thing. That hope brings trouble, and it torments. Uh, the Stoics said that uh, they just said apathy was the best and most rational way to live, where you just accept what comes, good and bad, and you don't have a reaction either way. You just go through life apathetic, basically. And I would even say apathy is the opposite of hope. Most people say despair, but I think it's apathy. Uh, you just go through, and the, whatever comes your way, you you know you go on. Um, the. Uh, the Stoics believe that. Frederick Nietzsche said this, Hope is the worst of evils because it prolongs the torment of men. That's kind of the general philosophical take on it. But then the Jews come along and have this whole sacred scriptures that's full of hope. These people who have suffered all the way through history, and the, and, the, and the scriptures are just saturated from the Psalms, from the prophets, from the very beginning of Genesis, it's all bathed in hope. And yes, it's, it's, it has a healthy view of, <clears throat> of human beings, but they're the ones who brought hope to the world and kind of idea that this God who created the universe is a God of hope. And this is unusual, because Christianity is built on top of that. And I'm convinced that if you don't, you know, to understand the resurrection story, you've got to understand the Jewish story as well, and the Jewish story of hope. It is that, that important. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. And I did a, um, a, a word started. I should say I started a word study on the word hope. And I had this computer program. It's a really fancy smancy thing. And I I don't know what I how did we how did we how did Paul minister without this? I don't know. But uh, you can, I can put in a word and it can just show up how many wherever it it appears. And so I typed in hope several weeks ago, and uh, there's 166 references. Now, I'm going to tell you that I went through all 166, and I'm not going to tell you I'm going to go through all 166, but I went through quite a few, and I'm still working on this, this whole thing, and what's fascinating is, is in the Old Testament, there's several words that we translate at hope. In the New Testament, there's really basically just one, but in the Old Testament, there's several words, and it's, it's, what's fascinating to me when you do a word study, you don't just say, okay, how do you translate that to English? Anybody who knows about translating and, and, and things, you can't translate word for word. You have to see how it's used, what are the, what's come along with it, what does it imply. And the Hebrew words are really, really fascinating in this because of what else is connected with it. Because uh, you look at the other root words that we've just translated, our English word hope, there's a, one of the words is cord or rope. And I'm thinking, how does that relate to, the, to hope? And we even use the, an idiom, you know, throw somebody the rope, you know. And if they're really not, if, it's, if they got their hope in the misplaced area, we throw it the rope so that they, we say enough rope to hang themselves. But normally it's a rope to, to rescue someone. Even the rope that, if you know the story of Rahab in the Promised Land, when the, when, the, when the spies come into the Promised Land to kind of scope it out. And you remember Rahab is a prostitute who kind of receives them in and protects them. And they make a deal with her, and she says, they say, well, hold this, this red cord or this red rope in your window, and we will know to rescue you. And I'm sure she saw that as her hope, not just the hope of Israel, but her hope from her deplorable situation. And so you have the same word as cord and rope as hope in that situation. So it's really interesting when you look at all the other nuances and all the things that come with this and what, what does it mean by hope and it's not a lot what we think of when we think of hope as 21st century Americans. In fact, it's very, very different. So what I, in our version, in our version of hope, our English hope, it's really easy to just fall into the trap of pat answers and, you know, just kind of platitudes that we would want to say, things that will fit on a, on a meme, you know, or, or kind of a nice pithy statement on a, on, a, on a, what do you call it, needlepoint or what's what's the thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Embroidery. That's, what I was, that's the word I was looking for. We have a friend who sells embroidery work. And anyway, you, it's something like that. That's how come kind of, we think of hope as pithy, you know, kind of platitudes. But it's not. And so, what I want to do today, and I, and I apologize for, for giving you a list, but I don't know any other way to communicate this. So, I'm going to give you this list of what hope is not. And that's what we're going to look at today, what hope is not, so that we don't get it confused of what it really is. And next week, we will explore more about what it is. But this week, I just kind of want to talk about what hope is not. So first of all, what biblical hope is not. Hope is not a prediction. Hope is not a prediction. It doesn't, the prediction says, I am hopeful that. And it's something that's very specific. Um whether hope in, in the biblical way is more general. But hope that is very specific, and we need to divorce that from that. It's like, and I to hate to bring up another movie, but if you've ever saw the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, you know, he's, he's in a plane crash, and he survives on an island, and he has this, um, he goes through this thing, what's he going to do? He's, you know, some other stuff had been washed up with him, and he can hope that a ship sees him or they send out a rescue team. That's something very specific, but who knows if they do or not? And if, who knows if they find him? But finally he comes back around and he says, I'm going to hope, I have hope that I can survive this. And so what he does is he starts using the, the luggage and other things in the island so that he can survive. And he's, he's got this excruciating toothache, and to me the worst scene, because I have this incredible phobia of dentist. The worst scene of the whole movie, he takes a, an ice skate and a rock and knocks his tooth out. And I just cringe. That's just like, okay, I can't take this. But he, but he makes some really sacrificial things and decisions and very radical decisions to hope that he can survive. But there's no specific thing that he's hoping for. That's a prediction. I'm hopeful that. I'm hopeful that is something that's very specific. When we wrestle with despair, um, it, this, this energy gives us, gives us no guarantees, but it helps us to move forward. I'm hopeful that is something that's specific, a prediction like I'm hopeful that the chemo works. I'm hopeful that these new meds will, t- will curb my depression. Or I'm hopeful that I get this job that I'm interviewing for. Those are like predictions, but it's not the same thing as hope. Hope is more mysterious, it's more open. It's no goal in mind, necessarily, nothing specific like that. It's just this moving forward. In the book of Zechariah, the Israelites have been under Gentile rule forever, for years and years and years, and yet he says, I am a prisoner of hope. In other words, I will die with hope, and he does. In the book of Zechariah, he talks about these pictures of of going from Gentile domination to freedom. He talks about going from persecution to peace and going from uncleanliness to righteousness, and yet he dies and never sees it. He prophesies the Messiah and is never around to see it, but he is a prisoner of hope that it will happen, and he, dies with, and he dies with hope. Hope is a muscle that we can exercise and develop. It has to do with purposes and goals and new ways to get there and a willpower to get there. And I almost hate to use the word goal when it comes to hope because goal sounds like a, a self-help book. You know, set your goals, make them specific, make them measurable—all those kind of things. You know, you talk about corporations, but everything we do has a goal. Just the point of walking across the room has a goal of I—I I want to talk to someone. I have this goal in mind, and that's the kind of the idea. That's what hope has to deal with. It has to deal with the muscle that we can—we can strengthen. It's not about gaslighting ourselves that this is all going to work out just just perfectly fine the way we we think we ought to do it, that he will die full of hope. Hope is not optimism, and that's what Americans usually conflate it with. In fact, we almost think optimism is some sort of civic responsibility, that this is something we're supposed to do. And, And so we, but it's not optimism. Optimism says it's not that bad, you know, And if there's something coming up, there's a before and there's an after, and the before thing is when we're optimistic. And we say, yeah, this is bad news, or this is not good, but it ain't that bad. And we kind of squint our eyes like those 3D pictures, you know, and and start to see something that's positive, and we go, okay, yeah, there's some positive things I can hold on to here. It's not, not that bad. I just, I just need to, to see it a little bit better. That's the before thing. We cross our fingers. We maybe say a prayer. We try to make a deal with God or make a deal with the universe. And we just think, okay, that's, I'm going to be optimistic about this. But that's not hope. Hope comes in the after stuff when you say, yeah, it is that bad. It is that bad. And what are we going to do? Hope rolls up its sleeves and says, let's get to work. It comes in and says, okay, optimism, you take a seat because your job is done. You're great before the event, but after things fall apart, now hope comes in and takes over. And hope does the work. Hope forms the purpose and the pathways and the power. And it's not lying to ourselves. The poor optimists is tied to the circumstances. And where the circumstances go, that's where the optimist goes. They have nowhere else to go. But hope is in the after, and that's where the muscles develop. And Jews and Christians know this. If you look through the scriptures and look through those words that do that, that kind of scattered work of where the hope appears in the Bible, that's what you find. You don't find optimism. You find hope that they will keep on pushing on, and they will suffer through. And that's what Romans was all about, that, yes, we will suffer. There is trauma. There is pain. There is turbulence. But you hang in there with hope. It produces endurance and character and hope. And that's what we hang on to. And, yes, it's kind of open. It's not closed, which we'll get to in a second. I don't know if you've ever met, heard of the guy Emeka Nanka. I don't know if you've ever met him or heard of him or not. He is a speaker, therapist, and he calls himself a hope advocate. He says, Through my faith in God, I found motivation to begin setting new goals and finding new ways to accomplish those goals. He was a football player at uh, Oral Roberts University in Oklahoma. And uh, he went into semi-pro, hoping to one day get into the NFL. And he was covering a kickoff, and he ran and tackled the guy who who received the ball. And they both fell on the ground. And the other guy got up and he just laid there. And his other team members came by and said, Come on, man, get up. Let's go. Let's go. And he goes, I can't. I can't get up. He says, I I wanted to, but my body didn't cooperate. And he said, They finally came and they put him on the stretcher. And he says, I know in sports you're supposed to give up thumbs up, you know, let everybody know you're okay. He says, I was going to do that and my arm didn't cooperate. And he ended up a quadriplegic. And now he's a successful speaker. You may have even seen him him on a couple of talk shows. And he says, um, he calls himself a hope advocate. Through my faith in God, I found motivation to begin setting new goals and finding new ways to accomplish those goals. That's the difference between hope and just optimism. Moving, moving forward. Hope is not barreling headlong into the future and forgetting the past. This says, it's time to leave the past behind. Let's move on. These are things people believe and people say when they say to people, okay, you've grieved long enough. It's time to move on. That's enough. Leave the past behind. Let's just get going. That's where we need to go, barreling on into the future. Forget what's going on behind us. You'll hear here today, several, <clears throat> some uh, white people, pundits, high-profile people telling black American, African Americans, man, slavery's over. Leave it behind you. Let's get on with it. Segregation's over. Let's get on with it. Leave it behind you. Don't, you know, it's no big deal. It would be like us telling Jews to stop celebrating the Passover. It's part of the past. You don't live in it. You don't revel in it. You don't live in your regrets. Regrets is a poison pill, let me tell you. I know. I've taken it several times. But at the same time, you recognize it. It's staring you in the face, and you move forward in that. And on the personal level, you do give people time to grieve. It's okay to lament. It's okay to sing the hymns. It's just okay to fall on your knees. And we don't have the right to tell somebody else, it's time you moved on. It will be with us the rest of our lives. Do we live in it? No. But it is with us. And I feel like we sort of, I was trying to think of a, a good way to describe this. It's like we cradled the past. We don't live in it, but we cradle it. It's precious. And then we rest in the future, and then we dream about a rich future. But the past we hold on to. There's an indigenous group, I'm told, in Latin America. I never met them. I can't say that I met them when we were there. But uh, they have a word for, for um, um, the past, and it's eyes or sight. And the word for future is behind. Now, that's the opposite for us. What are they they getting at? And they say, well, the past, when they talk about the past, they point this way. When they talk about the future, they point that way. And the reason they say that is because the past I can see. The future I can't see. And he goes, so I need to know the past so I know where I'm going. And that's kind of, I think, what the idea of hope is, that you don't just... Disregard the past, nor do you live in it, but you do see it. It's staring you in the face, and you cradle it, and you hope, and you dream for the future. Hope at the soul level is patient, and that's the one thing I kept coming across over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the patience of God's people, the patience of Zachariah, a prisoner of hope. Patient, patience knowing that it may not ever happen in my lifetime. But that's what it is at the soul level to hope. Hope is not toxic positivity. And what I mean by that is, well, at least. You know, at least. I thought, just met my friend here, Josh from Dallas, Cowboys fan, and I thought last year, The Cowboys had all the pieces together, you know. They were finally, since 1996, they were finally going to have a good chance to make it to the Super Bowl. And they didn't. Obviously, they did make it to the playoffs. And so I had people tell me, well, at least they made it to the playoffs. Not good enough. (laughs) 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 They need to be at the Super Bowl. But that's a silly example. But we do that to other people, too, on a more serious level. For someone who has just had a miscarriage, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. Or someone who has lost a spouse, well, at least you had all those years together. And those are things that maybe we say to make us feel better, but it doesn't do anything for the person out there. So hope is not this toxic, toxic positivity that there is a cause and effect, that if I do this, then God will do that. That there's this line between my actions and the, and, the, and, the, and the results that I want. There is no line there, no straight line. It's kind of like gardening. You know, I, I kind of, I have my garden boxes and I have the, I missed the garden over on Posh. We had this big, big field, you know, practically a farm. But now I have garden boxes and, and I, you know, my philosophy is basically stick the seed in the ground, hope for the best. <laughs> but I've learned some things. I've learned some things you can treat the soil and you can do some things, and, but basically you're also at the mercy of the weather, you're at the mercy of the bugs and the, and the parasites or whatever, but we still plant the seeds because of the hope, and that is different. It's not automatic that it is. Hope is not solace. That is an old word that's kind of made a comeback. And this is the idea that it's just comfort. One of the big misconceptions that non-Christians have about Christians is that we believe in God, we trust Jesus, so we can go to heaven. And that's it. Makes me get through life a little bit better. Makes me face death a little bit better. That I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Hope that it's not Silas. Would you like a cup of tea? That's what solace is. When we were with my daughter and son-in-law in England, um, uh, every afternoon, we'd do something in the morning or whatever, and we'd come back in the afternoon and kind of sit around, and, and Pete, my son-in-law, would always ask, me, Sue, would you like a cup of tea? And she goes, oh, I'd love a cup of tea. You know. And there's just something about feeling comfort with a cup of tea. For me, it's coffee, but for her, it's tea. And for the Brits, it's tea. There's something about that, that comforts. Nothing wrong with that, but it's not hope. It's just comfort. It's, I, I, chocolate, hot chocolate and a bedtime story is great. It comforts us. But it's not the same thing as hope. That's all I'm saying. It's just not the same thing. The, um, a lot of non believers believe this, including James Taylor, who I love James Taylor. Uh, in Sweet Baby James, you may recognize this verse. He says, there's a song that they sing when they take to the highway, a song that they sing when they take to the sea, a song that they sing of their home in the sky. Maybe you can believe if it helps you to sleep, but singing works just fine for me. Christianity is so much more than that. It's so much more than a home in the sky. And the resurrection life is so much more than that. The resurrection life has this, yes, it answers this ultimate, ultimate question, but it has the ultimate answer, but it also has these ultimate questions like, um, what are you going to do with the time you have left? What does the resurrection draw out of you, out of your soul? How are you going to live because Jesus rose from the dead? Those are the kind of questions that the resurrection has. Hope is kind of vague sometimes, and so we kind of look for solace as sort of a substitute, but it's not a substitute. The resurrection asks us some hard questions besides just saying, you have a home in the sky. It is a new way of living. And hope is not future-proofing. You might hear some people say this, we anticipate every possible outcome and contingency. Usually you hear businesses say this, like Apple or Microsoft or some oil company that are planning a project, and we've, we've anticipated every possible outcome and contingency. Or you might hear the government say this, or the military say this, and I'm thinking, how do you say that with a straight face? Because you can't anticipate every possible outcome in contingency. That is not hope, planning everything. Now, I am fortunate to be married to a woman who loves to plan things. Our lives would be chaos without that, without her. But she likes to plan things. But the strange thing about Sue and Katie both is that they're really good in emergencies. Really good when something happens and they, 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 they jump into action and make decisions really quickly. My daughter just had a, had a health emergency uh, in, a, in a restaurant last week. And uh, because of her training, because she cares for 75 boys and other training, and she coaches swimming, and so she's had some first aid stuff kind of thing, training, and she jumps into action. She's done this two or three times, it's happened to her in her life. And so she starts, I was going to say barking orders, but I'm not going to say that. She starts telling people what they should be doing, and she's on call to what their version of 911 is, and she's making all these, these, these decisions, and Sue's the same way. And I asked her, to, I said, why is that? I mean, you like everything planned, but when it comes down to these emergencies, and Sue says, well, then all the contingencies are over, and you deal with one thing. You deal with one thing, and you know what to do. And you, you leave all those contingencies behind. And, and I've preached this a lot before that I believe the spiritual life is primarily improvisation. It's like improv, it's like jazz. You have the key, you have the, the, the rhythm, you have the, the instruments, and everything. But then you kind of play within those keys, but you kind of go off and improvise. And I feel like that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is about improvisation. Improvisation. We have the key. We have the characters. We have the rhythm. But you're not going to find a Bible verse to tell you whether to go to college or not. You're not going to find a Bible verse to tell you if she's married this person or not. It's all improv. We improvise. And that's fine when things go well, but when things don't go well, then we have hope. That's where we have hope. One of the shocking things when I entered the youth ministry back in 86, something like that, was the woundedness and the trauma that people go through. I was not prepared for how much hurt is in the congregation. I remember a kid, one of my youth, in my youth group, calling me like at midnight, may have been one in the morning, because his dad, who had PTSD from Vietnam, was going through one of his berserk phases and was just going crazy in the home, and he didn't know what to do. So he calls me, and I'm like, what, six years older than this guy? You know? Had no idea how to do that. And then being in, in, in another culture and just seeing, and it's true. It's whether it's American culture or Mexican culture, it's the trauma that people go through. And, and I, I'm going to lose my use my use an example. I was speaking with Laurel Armadine this last week, and we were just saying that life is is not never easy. And she says that yeah, and the older we get, the more data we collect to prove it. I thought, that is about as good as, I didn't ask your permission to use that, but, <laughs> but I thought that was brilliant. That's true. The older we get, the more data we have to prove it. And I really wasn't prepared for that. But one of my favorite stories is the story of Mary Magdalene meeting Jesus after the resurrection. Her world has fallen apart. Everything she had thrown, looks like she had put all her chips in to this Jesus Messiah And now he's dead. And so she goes to the grave. And the grave is empty. And somebody must have stolen the body. And she meets Jesus and she mistakes him for the gardener. Which is really incredibly appropriate. Because John begins his gospel in the beginning. Quoting Genesis. Starting off with Genesis. And so he spends the rest of the book talking about how this resurrection launches the new creation. And so then she runs into Jesus and thinks appropriately he's the gardener. I think that's a great literary element that John uses. And Jesus comes and says, it's okay. And the story ends with her running to tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. And I think we also don't always recognize Jesus when he comes to us, when he speaks to us. And if we just open our minds and our hearts just a bit then he will empower us to move beyond those tears and beyond those traumas and beyond those hurts because he gives us hope but we have to listen for him and he comes in all kinds of places he he may come in the midst of our depression he may come in the shawshank redemption he may speak to you in finding nemo he may speak to you in the book in a secular book like anxious people he may speak to you in the scriptures of course he does but we need to hear him and listen and if you look at the scriptures, if you read the word, the hope comes through, it has a very, very strong view of hope, and it it's something that we, we must grab hold of. And I think it has a high view of hope because it has a high view of humans, and it has a high view of God. Now, Paul and Jesus and, and the Old Testament, they have a very healthy view of sin. I realize that. I know that. Humans are inherently hopeful, but they also are ineffective. They're sinners saved by grace. They're weak. We are finite. And we often have wrong values, but we are also moral beings. We are also intelligent beings. We are also spiritual beings. And we are capable of living in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is capable of living in us. And so hope is a prominent theme in the Bible because you have This high view of God, Yahweh, and Jesus Christ, plus humans with the image of God, and can trust, and that produces hope. And we can move forward. Traditional psychology, and Christians, I might as well say that, and Christians too, but traditional psychology, they they take a patient, they take a client, and they figure out what's wrong with them. What's he got? You know, is he, is he depressed? Is he schizophrenic? Is he, um, is he uh, just, you know, lost touch with reality or whatever it is? And we take that and we can fix it or we can remove it or we can repair it or get rid of it. But then one of the things that shocked me, that kind of surprised me in the, in the, as I'm diving into this is how much the Bible talks about taking the positive positive. And telling us to develop that, to nurture it, to grow it, to feed it, the fruits of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And I'm wondering if psychology ought to take this as a, as a cue and say, let's take hope and teach people how to do that. As Christians, yes, Paul has a very healthy view of sinners, no doubt about it. But I also see him saying, take this. Take these things and develop them and grow them. And that takes over. Hope can change the destiny of a person. Hope can change the destiny destiny of a prison inmate. It can change the destiny, destiny of a trauma survivor, a cardiac patient, a paralyzed athlete, a widow, an abused child, a cancer survivor, a a hurricane victim, a battered woman. It can take any of these and change their destiny. But the thing about hope is that it is never finished. It's never finished. So if you're looking for a result, look somewhere else. And when I say that, I want to ask you, if I say that hope is never finished, does that bring you comfort or does that challenge you? Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe both. But hope is about goals and action and pathways. It's about responding to the word. It is grace-empowered. It is patient, but it is not passive. Hope is patient, but it is not passive. And we will look at that next week. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this declaration of Paul, just how hope is, never disappoints us. Father, teach us how to hope. Teach us how to trust. In Jesus' name, amen.